Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Saturday's podcast is about the conference-leading Boston Celtics and the 14 and 11 Detroit Pistons, who are almost on the other side of Hell Week. This week we have a special guest, Alex Kungu, from the SB Nation Celtics site, Celtics Blog. He and I talk about Marcus Smart's snow breaks, the rookie wall, and what a Pistons-Celtics playoff series would look like. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on iTunes. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And, of course, you should always be following DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hey everybody, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and as you noticed, it is not Sunday. Uh, We have a very special episode for you guys today. I'm joined by Alex Kungu of Celtics Blog. Alex, how are you doing? Good, good. And yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm excited to do something a little bit different. So... We're just gonna we're just gonna wrap about the uh, the Pistons Celtics game tomorrow. I know the uh, the Celtics lost in brutal fashion last night to the Spurs. I sympathize. The Pistons lost last night in brutal fashion to the uh, Warriors. But that kind of brings me to my first question. Uh, since the game on the uh, on the twenty seventh, the Celtics have you know gone four and one, and the Pistons have gone one of uh, one and five now. I believe. Uh, is there anything that you've seen the Celtics do differently since that game? Well, I mean, no. I think the one thing that uh, it got kind of got o- a little bit overblown is that um, during that during that Pistons loss, the Celtics were coming off three games in four nights. They just had it back to back, and I think eventually, with that energy that they put in during their win streak, and kind of like then playing so many games like in such a short time period, I think a little bit of it was fatigue. Also, mostly just the Pistons are a very tough matchup for Boston. And I don't, and they present problems that other teams don't. For example, I think the combination of Avery Bradley and Andre Drummond to go against Kyrie Irving and Al Horford is pretty troubling for the Celtics because um, Avery Bradley, as you've probably seen now, Detroit is probably one of the best on-ball defenders in the league, and Andre Drummond's resurgence as like this guy who is now like initiating offense can hit his free throws and is still a pretty good post scorer presents problems because it's good as for Al Horford because as good as Al Horford has been as a defender um, he still kind of is at a disadvantage against guys who can really legitimately score in the post so I think what you saw is a team that was kind of built to present problems to the Celtics um, came in with a good game plan and they just beat us um, as in Detroit and I guess other teams so other teams during that you know stretch didn't don't have those type of advantages that Detroit has so I think really that was just a big difference a lot of it was matchups and Detroit is a pretty tough matchup for Boston. Well, I mean, Marcus Smart hitting like six threes didn't hurt either. Yeah, that happens from time. It's weird. So like, like, <laughs> do you do you guys like know when that's going to happen? Because like that happened, like that happened against Cleveland last year in the playoffs. Like that happens every once in a while. Like, is there a sign? Like he's got his wristbands tight before the game, or like what's going on? 
last year there was this thing where um there was like us like a quote-unquote snow break like it snowed a lot in boston and then we got like maybe and it was like in between like a two or three day break for the celtics and apparently there it was like marcus smart was like practicing a shot during that time and like for like a week stretch he hit like maybe like 45 it's in like 50 percent of his threes so we, from now it's like oh so like when he gets hot we say like oh was it like a snow break or something but really there's no way he's really just one of the worst shooters compared to his volume it's completely random most of the time when he scores well and surprisingly like he shoots well in the playoffs because he lowers his attempts and he only limits them to like wide open shots so he actually has a good percentages in the playoffs but like throughout the year it's it's so it's it's a guessing game it, he, one day he might go three for 15 another day he might go four for six most of the times it's going to be somewhere in between so one to seven <laughs> one of eight is, is, is usually what we expect but we do not have any idea we just cross our fingers like everyone else yeah marcus smart is so like the the amount of just ink that has been spilled about marcus smart's ability to not just grind the entire celtics offense to a halt you got the Matt Moore piece in CBS Sports. You got uh, Mike Prada of SB Nation, both like within a week of each other, just scratching their heads on the internet about how Marcus Smart is not grinding this, the uh, Celtics offense to a halt. I can't imagine it anyway. It's just the guy competes so hard, but at the same time, like there's there doesn't appear to be anything fundamentally wrong with his shot. It just doesn't go in half the time. Yeah, it's weird too because I mean, like this has been sort of Marcus Smart since he's been drafted. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's like everyone now kind of be putting attention to it. Cause this has really just been him. And I think uh, kind of like what they're saying, the only reason why he's able to do that is cause he's just, he's good everywhere else on the court. It's, it's just anything that involves his ability to put the basketball on the basket. is horrendous. But besides for that, I mean, he's a good player. And I guess that manifests himself. It, it helps because without his ability to like see the game and know the game, I don't think, he would be as he would be as effective, but because he does know how to play, and he's probably one of our best. Like in terms of like, I, I hate this term, but in terms of one of our pure point guards and facilitators, he's probably right behind Al Horford as our best, maybe even tied. So I think that really does help him know how to pick his spots, and even when he's even if he's not able to score, know how to get the ball to people that can. So I mean, yeah, but. The shooting is horrendous, stuff. <laughs> Can't take that away from him. Definitely. What's he? What's he going to be worth to you guys this off season? Um. So they try to get a deal with him before the season. Um. I think their agent, you know, like he was on Twitter saying the Celtics are going to regret not signing him. They were apparently not looking for a max offer. They tried to accommodate it, but I think the Celtics are looking at a market where there's not a lot of money on the table, and someone like him, like Marcus truthfully probably looks more um impactful for the celtics than he does anywhere else so i think what they're looking at is hey if he has another year where he's shooting like he's shooting right now who's gonna pay him like 20 million dollars and say oh here you're now our starting point guard when he's when he's proven to you that he has a clear ceiling based on his shooting so i think what we could see is if the market is really barren like somewhere that could be as low as like mid-level exception around that money or it could really just go as high because, like, maybe Atlanta just says, hey, we want him as our point guard or, or a team like that and gives him the max. So we have no it could It fluctuates so much, and a lot of it is so determined on how he performs this year. Because if he just, like, for example, like the second half of the year, he's like a league average shooter, 
does all the stuff that you want well, he could easily get like a high deal. But if he's kind of like at this level, inconsistent, but still like valuable to the Celtics, it's it ranges. So right now we have no idea. And also because he's a restricted free agent, you don't know who's going to even want to bother trying to um, put a deal in and then have their cap halted for a, for that set amount of time. So yeah, right now it's in the air. I'm I'm always thinking about with Marcus Smart, the Josh Richardson and the uh, the Norman Powell deals, right? The four the four for forty four, the four for forty eight deals. The uh, in somewhere in that range is about where I think he's worth and what he can get. But at the same time, I totally agree with you. If you're like Orlando and you sign him to a four for 44, there's almost like a 0% chance he's going to play as well in Orlando as he has in Boston. And so if you, you have to realize like once you take him out of that scenario, once you take him out of the tutelage of Brad Stevens, like what kind of player is he actually going to be and how much is that player worth? So yeah, it's a, that's a rough thing. I don't, I mean, it's it's a tough thing because I don't envy you guys for having a talented player like that, but I also don't envy you the front office for having to make that decision. However, the front office in Boston has done a pretty good job so far of uh, navigating through everything uh, this year and in the past offseason. So I'm sure they'll they'll figure something out. Uh, speaking of, uh, of Brad Stevens, so the the best two-man lineup for the Celtics by net rating is Aaron Baines and Al Horford. Um, but Aaron Baines only starts half the time. He's only got 15 starts in 26 games. Um, the in the last couple of weeks, the Celtics' lead leading league leading uh, defensive rating has you know gone up a little bit. Um, their rebound rate has fallen a little bit. Uh, Aaron Baines like answers those questions of like how do we defend and how do we rebound uh, with with our team. So Brad Stevens is smarter than both of us. So why aren't we seeing more two man or two big man lineups with Aaron Baines? Yeah, so something that the Celtics have been trying to do throughout the year is try to make their starting lineup um, kind of fit towards like what they want to do in a game specific matchup. So th- what right now we've been fluctuating between two ex <laughs> ex Pistons and Marcus Morris and Aaron Baines, and what what Brad has kind of explained like if he starts uh, Morris. It's because he wants more versatility on the wing and he thinks there's a matchup they can exploit doing that way. Or sometimes if it's Baines, it's because he's like, there's a big, there's like a legit center on the other team and they don't want to put the pressure on Al Horford to defend that. So really what he's been doing is kind of like mixing and matching based on those specific matchups. So in terms of rebounding, I think a lot of that is just us coming, you know, a a little bit back to the mean because we were like, for those who don't know, the Celtics were one of the worst rebounding teams last year. Um, we've been a pretty bad rebounding team since we lost Kendrick Perkins. It's been like that long. We're used to not being able to rebound. And I think we started off very like hot doing that, playing playing of Baines and Al Horford was allowed to like roam around and grab the boards. But also like we've also kind of seen a little bit of regards to me, not just with uh, our rebounding, also in terms of like how Kyrie was ranked like in a, as top, a top 15 in RPM in defense. And now he's kind of regressed back to like in the middle. So I think a lot of that is just that we don't we, we never we're not going to be a great rebounding team in general it was mostly just a hot start um and then also like we've said the mixing and matching of starting lineups also has to do with that and brad plays a lot of different lineups a lot of them are a lot of three guard lineups um so it's interesting but i think to answer your question it's a lot of it is just 
playing the matchups versus the other team. And that's why we haven't seen Baines as like a consistent starter over and over again. I, I can buy that. That makes sense. Are, are Boston's fans as frustrated with uh, the inconsistent play of Marcus Morris as Pistons fans were? Oh my God. He has, he has already become like the whipping mule on like Celtics websites. Everything he does is ridiculed. Um, I didn't get, I'm still going through the full game from last night, but it's like he caught a rebound one time off of the rebound and took like a fadeaway jumper. And just like that, like the whole Celtics nation, like just attacks him. Um, so yeah, he's, he has quickly become um, a villain <laughs> on, on, on the Celtics fear as well. It's like, if you take two X Pistons, you got to take one good one and bad, one bad one. <laughs> that makes it yeah, fair. It yeah. Out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but a guy that I'm really surprised by on the Celtics is Jason Tatum. I didn't think Jason Tatum would be this good this quickly. Um, he seemed very much like a an offense only player, and you know he, against the Pistons we didn't really see him, see him play to the level that he's played at so far. I, mean, I think he only had like eight shots and he only made three of them. But uh, Brad Stevens has done a really good job utilizing him and putting him in positions to succeed. So for Celtics fan, like what does that success look like on the court? Oh yeah, so for Jason Tatum, you are uh, probably talking to the only person in the world who picked him as the Rookie of the Year candidate before the season. So I've I've been very high on Jason Tatum, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I expected this. Um, what he's bringing so far is kind of the best way to describe it is it's a similar production of what Otto Porter did last season. So he's not being asked to create a lot. He's not being asked to take on the best defensive assignment what he what he's being asked to do is be a long wing be able to defend at an average level and hit open shots um his he had a game against uh like the last matchup before the spurs where he scored maybe 16 first half points and none of the plays were called for him it was just Kyrie, Kyrie getting penetration smart getting penetration um against the bucks and him just getting open looks from that and that's kind of what we've all we've just asked of him. Like hit, hit your open shots, get to lane during closeouts, which he's been better at than we expected. And he's hitting his free throws and he's playing average defense. And it's it's like looking at it from the big picture, it doesn't seem like a lot, but the fact that he's nineteen and he's able to give you that consistent, consistent production in that role has been huge for the Celtics, especially with them losing uh, Gordon Hayward and I think it's, it's going to be big for him going down the stretch because now next year it, it's not going to feel like a big jump for Burden with him like he's going to have he's going to have so many minutes under his belt he's going to know that regardless of the NBA system and it could end up you know being really big for his development which wasn't something that a lot of us expected because at the time when we got him we had Jay Crowder we got Marcus Morris we had Gordon Hayward we had no idea where he was going to fit into the equation so it's been nice to see him get those minutes and excel at that role at this stage of his development so when do you think he hits the the rookie wall or how do you think the rotation his role on the Celtics will will play out when he hits that rookie wall for the record Danny Ainge has already talked on the radio and pretended that the rookie role doesn't exist saying he only thinks it happens when it happens basically saying like he doesn't expect it to happen for Jason Tatum I think it will I think we're kind of at the point in the season where it could potentially happen because these guys are in college used to playing around like maybe like 30 games and we're getting very close to that mark now where 
We're about like 32, 33% through the season. Um, his body is now racked up probably what would be like a full college season now. So I think you could probably see like the second half of the season, maybe his shooting starts to dip down. He's no longer, you know, like a 50% shooter. Maybe now he's, he's dipped down. to maybe like, like low forties. Um, but in terms of like, what it might look like it's hard to tell because they're not asking him to do much in terms of like they're not asking him to go and create his own offense they're not asking him to defend the best player in the league or they're not asking him to do anything except like fill a role and that role is just like you know like you know like i said hitch or open shots be average and nowhere to be on defensive end and things will work out so in terms of what a rookie ball might look like, possibly just lower percentages, but I don't think you'll see like this crazy drop off because he's not like Donovan Mitchell where he's like going out there and like being the key cog of the offense or anything like that. He's just filling a role. So if you see a dip, it'll be towards like maybe like being less efficient. Oh man, you invoked Donovan Mitchell on the Pistons podcast. Now I have to now I have to go over <laughs> that whole thing again. No. For for Tatum what I see is when he hits the wall, it'll be defensively. Like he's already absorbed so many pro, so many uh, like assignments, and he's already done a really good job of that. But at the same time, like you were talking about the wear and tear on his body, you know, he'll they'll get another three games and five nights stretch, and you know, he'll be late on a couple rotations, and you just be like, you just have to shrug his shoulders. Like it's he's a rookie. It is what it is. You know. Exactly. Yep, I agree with that. So speaking of Tatum and speaking of what it cost you guys, which was the number one pick in the uh, 2017 draft, the Celtics rebuilt their entire roster this offseason. I think there are only, what, four or five guys who were on the four. four. Yeah, four, four returning players. Four yep. returning players from the number one seed last year. But in doing so, they now have an abundance of the most valuable NBA commodity, which is wing defenders who need to be respected at the three-point line. So that's Tatum. That's Jalen Brown. That's Marcus Morris to a lesser extent. That's Simi Ogley. And that's Gordon Hayward when he's healthy. Uh, they have a guy that can lean on a crunch time in Kyrie. That was a really big acquisition. They have a really big... So I think of Al Horford as like this super role player. Like He just fills all the gaps in a team. He does exactly like what you need a guy like him to do. And, and they have more guys like that. They have Marcus Smart. They have Terry Rozier. They have Aaron Baines. So Danny Ainge has done like a really good job of building this team that looks really impressive so far. But but do you think they're done? Are they done building? Or is Danny Ainge like still kind of out there looking for like that another top level, top 20, top 30 NBA player? Well, um, as I don't know if you've seen, but like there's always there's been like rumors now that the Celtics are potentially looking at trying to get like a guy like Anthony Davis, which doesn't make sense when you look at this team right now, but if you consider Al Horford is already 31, and in a couple of years, his, I think his contract expires around the same time um, Anthony Davis's does, so it kind of like matches up that like you could potentially use him in a deal for that, which at, at this stage just seems like a big pipe dream at this stage. I don't think that – I'm not sure that's actually going to happen, but I think that's the type of move that Danny would look for in terms of like if, if he was going to make a trade. But realistically right now, I think – this team has a lot of young assets, like growth assets, that they probably want to develop and see where they go. And also, we don't really know, I don't think Danny knows either, like how this team actually looks 
once they get Gordon Hayward back. This is um, a team right now that's it looks well good right now, but like we also want to see how does Kyrie and Hayward and Horford look, and then alongside of the Tatum and Browns, and then see what we have in that first, and then maybe make a move from there. And also, um, uh, like like other teams, what they do also matters as well. Because if say LeBron James does end up leaving there's less of a burden to try to make a big move because then you're probably one, one if the most talented, if not one of the most talented teams in the league and your chance of going to the finals increase exponentially. So you don't maybe want to take on the risk of what comes with dealing with Anthony Davis. And then also there's the money. Um, Kyrie is going to be, he's, he's almost expiring. Um, he has like one more season after this on his deal, then they have to pay him. They have to worry about paying, as we talked about earlier, Marcus Smart. They have to think about um, Jalen Brown, possibly Jason Tatum. So they have a lot of guys that that are young now, but can potentially get very expensive. So I think right now the move is to probably stay the course and see what they have, and then if like a you know like the, a deal of an arguably top five player like Anthony Davis comes available, then you make that deal. Like every other team would make that deal. But in terms of like how they were last year, where they were like searching and they needed needed like another like all star, I think those days are kind of over, and they're more. And then I like to wait and see and let their guys grow. Part of the rebuild. That's fair. I know it is kind of strange, right? Because you're doing all of this without Gordon Hayward, and if it, it feels in some ways like Gordon Hayward next year might be your big free agent acquisition again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, that all said, I just I I complimented the Celtics. I complimented Danny Ainge. Like that said, like Andre Drummond has like killed the Celtics repeatedly throughout his career. Um, what's the level of fear and respect Celtics fans have for the Pistons, like in a playoff settings? Like, would they rather see Detroit? Would they rather see like Philly? Would they rather see like Milwaukee? Like, well, who are Celtics fans kind of looking for in a playoff opponent? Okay, so from the teams you listed, um, Milwaukee, I would say we have no fear. We know Giannis could score. We've already seen that like he could score and be completely great, and we could still beat them pretty easily. Um, Philly is probably like a year or two of being like pretty scary. I think maybe a year based on how they played so far. And then there's also like, you know, like the Washingtons we're, we're probably not afraid of because they're, they have second unit issues. Um, We've been pretty good against them. And then Toronto. So I would say that in terms of like the top three teams, and I'm not just saying this because it's a Pistons podcast, it would probably be first the Cavaliers, um, second Toronto, because they've been a pretty hard matchup for us the past few years. And then, and then it would be Detroit. And I say Detroit again because, one, you guys have veterans all over the court that have been pretty good against the Celtics. Um, Tobias Harris killed us in that first matchup, and I think he would do really good against, like, rookie wings in a playoff setting. Um, you have Avery Bradley, who does a really good job making life difficult for Kyrie Irving. And then you also have Andre Drummond, who does a really good job of, like, forcing Al Horford to play in the post and stuff like that. Um, then on top of that, you guys are mostly filled of uh, like veterans on your team, whereas opposed to Celtics, like our bench is made up of mostly rookies and young people. So I think when you guys have kind of like a little bit of like a kryptonite for our best players, and then you also have like the vets, like the Reggie Jacksons, the Bias Harris's, even like the Anthony Tolliver's, and then even like a guy like Luke Kennard, who's looked really good, that recipe of like strong vet, like athletic um, wings, and then like a very tough big is pretty could be pretty problematic for the Celtics. So I would say 
right next to like Toronto would be there. So maybe like the third most uh most most feared team for the Celtics, I would say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like just on paper, right? In but in the playoffs, you know. I can see something, I can envision like a world in where like Marcus Smart is like completely locking down uh, Tobias Harris, even though he's three inches taller and like 30 pounds heavier than him. Because like I've seen Marcus Smart do that in the playoffs before, right? Yeah. Like I can see like kind of Avery Bradley and Kyrie neutralizing each other a little bit. But uh, Kyrie also had, like has made some hellacious shots against the Pistons in the playoffs uh, not that long ago. And so I, I'm still like terrified of what he brings to the table. Like Al Horford uh, has always had trouble kind of handling Andre Drummond, but on the other side of it, like Al Horford is classically the type of center that Andre Drummond has trouble defending. Um, good in the post, pretty good rebounder, but can also stretch the floor and can pass the ball. And so Andre just can't kind of uh, sit in the post and uh, drop back on the pick and roll and grab rebounds, which is what he really wants to do. Um, but I will. I, you did bring up a good point, though, about the bench matchup. That's something I hadn't really thought about that much. The bench has been really good this year for the Pistons, um, even if the the backup center I think is a is the biggest hole on the team. But the Celtics don't really have someone who can take advantage of that. You know, there's no Ennis Cantor on on the Celtics. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so I'm 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 really excited to see these two teams play tomorrow, just because. Um, I think it's a mo- it'll be more indicative of what uh, a playoff type scenario will look like than the game on November 27th because of all the stuff you said earlier about the schedule, right? Like I feel like you you made that point on Twitter after the game and you got kind of knocked down a little bit for it, and like I kind of knocked you down a little bit too just because you know I'm excited about the win, but like looking back, like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I think I got in trouble for saying like the term scheduled loss. When I look back on that, I think that's what made people mad because that. I think people understood the three games of four nights, but when you say scheduled loss, there's like an implication that that team didn't earn the win and the Pistons absolutely earned the win. And I wasn't trying to say that, but then like it came off like that. So I understood after the fact of why people were coming at me. But like you said, I do think this game will probably be a, a little bit more like fair in terms of like schedule and rest. And I'd be interested to see how the Celtics play, especially because, um, after the first matchup, Kyrie made a mention of how he wanted to get back at the Pistons after the way they celebrated the win. So we'll see what he has for for Sunday night. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, so last question. Speaking of Kyrie, uh, the we just got like the first like whispers of like All Star uh, game mentions. Like who's going to be in? Who's going to get out? Uh, Victor Oladipo's looked really well. You know, uh, there's no John Wall this year. Giannis has been killing it. If the Celtics only get one all-star, would you rather have it be Kyrie or Al Horford? Um, I think last night was probably an example of why it would probably be Kyrie Irving. Because um, for those who watched the game, the Celtics lost to the Spurs last night. And Al Horford had a total of two points in the game. And I think that type of his game, like you said, is kind of like being like a super role player. Being able to plug in holes. like Things that like fans who vote for the all-star game don't necessarily appreciate. And then when you see a guy like Kyrie, who's always going like 30 plus points, like six assists, highlight moves, highlight crossovers, that's the type of stuff that gets you votes. So if, if I had to pick one person, it would probably be um, Kyrie Irving for sure. Though I do think Al Horford has a pretty fair chance of getting in if the team keeps up this like first place uh, pace. But yeah, if it came out to one, it'd be Kyrie Irving. Yeah. 
it's so it's it's weird, right? Because the East has been so much better than the West so far this season, and we have a bunch of guys who weren't expected to be all stars that are playing like all stars. Uh, so I. Th- but at the same time, the team that's leading the conference usually gets rewarded in terms of all-star berths. So I think both of those guys will make it. But it's an interesting thought exercise, right? Yeah. Because Al Horford has definitely been playing at an all-star level. But he could just get squeezed by the way things work with the fan vote and everything. And it, and it sucks for him because during that 16-1 streak, he was largely the best player on the Celtics while Kyrie was still trying to find his bearing. But like like said, these all-star votings essentially most of the time come to popularity contest if if we're being serious so Kyrie's one of the most popular players in the league so it's pretty easy to go with him all right Alex who's gonna win tomorrow uh tough matchup I think Al Horford would be motivated because he just came off a two-point performance um Kyrie has already said he's gonna be motivated um can't use schedules and excuse this time so I'd like to see I'd, I'd like to see the Celtics come out and play more aggressive and match the Pistons' intensity because I think you guys came out punches in the face and we really didn't have an answer. Um, if I had to pick a win, I would probably say the Celtics because we, we haven't seen them. I haven't seen them lose two times in a row since the beginning of the season. I think they'll be motivated for this game especially and they'll be ready to match their intensity. But I would. I don't think it's going to be like a type of game where I'm, I'm confident. Like I wouldn't put my money on the Celtics, but I'll brew for them because those are my people, <laughs> basically. <laughs> right. That's as, that's as good a reason as any, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate it. Um, where, so tell the people, you know, how can they best contact you? Is it Twitter? Is it email? It's the comments at Celtics blog. Like, where can they hit you up? Oh, yeah. So um, Twitter, probably Kungu, K-U-N-G-U-NBA. Um, you can read my stuff also on Celtics blog. Comments aren't the best place because I don't read comments or my stories. So it's, it's a weird. I, I just don't. So I wouldn't try to reach me through comments. So Twitter, again, Kungu, K-U-N-G-U underscore NBA. All right. And I'm Laz. I'm Lazarus Jackson. I'm your host. That's at Laz Chance at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E on Twitter. That's the best way to hit me up. Alex, thank you so much again. I appreciate it. And uh, as for you guys, we will see you guys tomorrow.